Tonight we finally begin looking at the Ten Commandments themselves. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, truth be told, I'm a simple kind of guy. And I like to cut to the chase when I can. If there's a way to get the answer about a question, I want to go straight to that answer because I don't have time to fiddle around with this person's thoughts or that person's thoughts. I just want to know what the answer is, what the truth is. Now, I suspect in a group of people like the one before me, I bet there are some of you who would be very interested to know what I believe to be Jesus' definitive words on the first commandment. Am I right? Does anybody want to know what Jesus had to say about the first commandment? Well, I'm God. Allow me to read what I believe to be Jesus' words on the first commandment. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 25. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Isn't that a great start? Right there, first commandment, right? Just wait, it's coming. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Why? Because no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now here Jesus is on the face of it, very patently giving sound investment advice. Don't waste your time chasing gold or boats or some dream of glory for yourself, your name in lights. Invest in something better than blue chip. Invest in something that will last forever because anything else, everything else, will let you down. This passage in Matthew 6, like the first commandment, can be put into one sentence. Fear the right God, and you will never fear anything else again. Fear the right God, and you will never fear anything else again. Now, I'll leave it to your imagination to see how this sentence relates to another Bible in a sentence that I usually give. You guys know that I do this. I put the whole Bible in a sentence. Well, this is one of them. And the one I usually give is trust the promises of God for you in Christ. These are two sides of one coin, or better than that, they are different facets on the same diamond. Because... There are other ways of making sense of the Bible that emphasize different aspects but reflect the same reality of the glory of God. 
All right, I can't resist. Another way to sum up Scripture is the central foundational promise you've heard me mention several times. I will be your God and you will be my people. Or you can go straight to Jesus Himself who said this, in summing up all the law and prophets, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, as you know, I get easily distracted. Back to the sermon. What do we learn from this passage in Matthew chapter 6 that I believe is one of Jesus' clearest expositions of the first commandment? Fear the right God and you will never fear anything else again. I take that as a good summary of what Moses said or what God said to us through Moses. You shall have no other gods before me. So as we come here, my first question is, what other gods are there? What, what is Yahweh talking about here? Well, there's hundreds of them, thousands of other gods. In fact, Jesus identified one of them for us. Money. The almighty dollar. Now, on the one hand, none of these other gods are real in the same sense that Yahweh is real. And none of them are real. Don't miss this. This is important. None of these other gods are real in the sense that Jesus is real because only Jesus will actually come through on His promises. And so the other gods are as nothing. But make no mistake, there are other gods and we worship them. Make no mistake, these other gods also make lots of other promises. In fact, you might say that there is a basic job description of a god. If you want to apply, if you want to put your name in the hat to be a god, what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to provide for your subjects, you need to be able to protect them, and you need to give purpose to the worshiper. Now, we've seen this in every culture on every continent for all of history. Whether that culture was as bloodthirsty as ours is, or if it was more genteel, the three most common gods in every culture, though they go by different names, are money, pleasure, and power. These are the gods that are out there. So if that's true, my next very basic question is, how do we obey the first commandment? Or maybe a better way of saying that would be how do we disobey the first commandment? How do we disobey the first commandment in light of the fact that money, pleasure, and power is everywhere worshipped around us? To put it in more biblical language perhaps, how do we serve or how do we worship how do we put something before Yahweh like these false gods? Well, here's a clue in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. In what? 
that He understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So you get to the Jeremiah passage and you have to ask yourself a question. Why does the wise man, the mighty man, and the rich man boast? I get a picture of him standing up saying, Woohoo, I'm wise, or Woohoo, I'm strong, or Woohoo, I'm rich. It doesn't take that much imagination, folks. You've all seen it many times. In fact, maybe you were that person. The idolaters here that Jeremiah is warning us about are declaring to everyone around them where they place their trust in wisdom or in might or in riches. And they assume, usually correctly assume, that everyone nearby will agree that these things are in fact worth boasting about. They're, they are the things that you should trust in. Why on earth? earth would someone not trust in money in pleasure or in power you're a fool if you don't ah but jeremiah has a different take on it in verse 17 chapter 17 verse 5 thus says the lord cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Here very clearly, Jeremiah is talking about the person who says, in my might, I am strong. More than one man, one strong man was humbled by a boy with a rock. But why? Why cursed? I mean, why go straight to cursed? Well, there's at least two reasons. Back to Jesus' investment advice that we began with. People who boast in or trust or love guns, girls, and gold are cursed because those things in which they trust will ultimately fail. And fail big time. And fail big time when you need them most. But idolaters are cursed also because God Himself is opposed to those who look to these other idols for what they need. God is opposed to those who are looking over here because the only place where you will find life is in the source of life Himself. God cannot be for those who seek to find life elsewhere because there isn't any life outside of Him. It's not a mystery. This isn't foreign to us. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We love, we trust, boast in money. We love, we trust, we boast in pleasure. Or we trust in love and boast in power. And if we don't do it ourselves, we do it for those who have these things. And we go, oh man, I wish I was like them. One time years ago, I was a, I was a new Christian. I was in my 20s and I, I said, man, wouldn't it be great if Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs became a Christian? A wiser man than I was at the time, probably still am. He said, yeah, God could do a lot for those men. 
We trust in money to give us protection, provision, or purpose. We trust in pleasure to give us protection, provision, or purpose. We trust in power to give us protection, provision, and purpose. And what we do, the way that we trust in it, how you know you are trusting in these things is that you arrange your lives and your affections, the things that you value, the things that you think are good, true, and beautiful, to make sure that we get the most value out of our almighty dollars. Or maximize our pleasure. Or increase our power so we can get people to do what we want them to do. And money clearly says, I can give you protection. Money says, I can provide. Money buys everything. And if you can't buy it, you don't need it anyways, right? Money says, I can give you your purpose. (laughs) Chase after me and you'll always have something to do. That's a purpose, right? But a few simple questions will show the lie of money. Where will all your effort to chase your fortune be on your deathbed? Where will all your effort to chase your fortune be when your wife lands you in divorce court or your kids land in rehab. Now, I'm not saying money is the only thing that causes those things. The love of money. But Jesus clearly said you cannot serve both God and money. Now, on the other hand, if your God is Yahweh, if your God is Jesus, you will find in His Word explicit promises that you will not have this world, but that you will have pain and suffering. And He promises that you will find that it is worth it. Far more than any dollar can buy. Have no other gods before me. Now, I want to understand this phrase before me. The Bible in many places paraphrases the idea of worship with several words. I've been using them. Trust, hope in, believe in, boast in. Or serve. The big word you find in Scripture is serve. Now, Psalm 100 is so great. I'm going to read the whole thing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So this word serve is throughout Scripture. But it strikes me as important. When our culture thinks about serve, we think about what it was that I did when I tied an apron on all those years ago at Bob Evans Restaurant. I think a better culturally appropriate word is submit. The best single word synonym of worship is submit. 
when we submit to money, we will do what it takes to sacrifice our time, our family, our health. When we worship Jesus, when we submit to Jesus, we will do what it takes and sacrifice our time, our family, and our health. But only one of them keeps His promises. And this this idea of you shall have no other gods before me. You shall put no other gods before me. If you have two people in front of you, one you trust and one you believe to be a liar, they both promise wonderful things. The one that you trust is the one you're going to stand in front of you. The one you're going to stand in front of and serve so you can get the maximum benefit you can from them. So if you believe money is your God, you're going to stand right in front of money and you're going to do what you can to get it. If you put your trust in Yahweh, if you put your trust in Jesus, then you're going to stand right in front of Him and you're going to say, more, please. God demands first and foremost to be the one you stand in front of. Why? Well, Because he's dad and he gets to choose. Kind of boils down to that. But also, because he's dad, he knows what's good for us. He knows what we need. And if we fear the right God, we will need never fear anything else again. Let's unpack some more ideas in this command promise. I'm going to go back to where we were last week. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Make no mistakes, my friends. You will be held accountable for obeying or disobeying the first commandment. Make No mistake, my friends. Obedience to this command or any other is not payback. You don't give anything to God when you obey. You were saved by the wood. And you were taught by the stone. Nevertheless, Keeping this in mind, we examined this crucial distinction last time when we noted that the commands of the Ten Commandments come after redemption. And God specifically reminds Israel of that redemption. God expects something of us after we are saved. And here, Moses reminds us of his redemption in verses 1 and 2. Because God saved his people, God is worthy. You want protection? God showed His protection in bringing them out of Egypt. You want provision? God gave manna. You want purpose? Serve the Lord with gladness. You want all three wrapped up into one? The ultimate redemption was one on the cross. And you can go to Him And you can find Him faithful because all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. 
God is worthy. God is worthy of your worship. Jesus is worthy of your submission, your obedience. He is worthy of you going to Him and learning from Him about the reality of all of life because you are saved by the wood and you are taught by the stone. And my friends, we must, we must respond to the one who is worthy. God is worthy of our trust. Money is not. And this is why we must obey the first commandment. The first commandment, if you remember my paraphrase, worship the right God, which is where we are tonight. And then next week, we must obey the second commandment, worship the God right. You see how intimately related these first two commandments are. Tonight, we learn that we must have the right God, Yahweh must be our God. And we must give exclusive worship to the right God. We must have no other God. And next time we will learn how we are to go about worshiping this God rightly. Suffice it to say that these commandments are intimately related. And I want to comment on the fact that I've thrown about several different words. Serve, submit, boast in, place before, trust, these are all words, and there are others besides, that are descriptors of the very useful but perhaps opaque word we usually use. Worship. So here's where the rubber meets the road. What, what do all of these synonyms, what do all these fleshing out words tell us about worship? What is it that we need to know in light of the first commandment? And that is this, worship necessarily presupposes exclusivity. Now, I know my wife's over there thinking, okay, Greg, I know you got your doctorate, but make that English for us. If you're going to worship, you have to worship God alone. If what you're doing is really worship, it can't be one of one and one of another. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus lays this out so clearly for us. It's His commentary on the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before Me. You shall worship Yahweh exclusively. This is the basic requirement of worship. And that's the basic requirement of worship, no matter what the deity, no matter what the little g God you're talking about is. Whatever God there is, it will demand exclusivity. It will demand that you serve it and it alone. If you worship money, you will sacrifice your family. If you worship family, you will sacrifice your sanity. If you worship power, you will sacrifice your very self. If you worship God, if you worship Jesus, you will sacrifice all the little things in great that pull your heart and mind, promising the world and delivering the grave. Which is why the exclusivity of our worship is essential to holiness, to our becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Something that is holy is said to be set apart. It is given a special purpose, not along with the things that are used for everyday purposes. 
My black boots, for example. I don't go changing in the chicken coop with these. I put them on for Sundays and date nights when I'm with the most beautiful woman on the earth. I love you, sweetie. They're special. I, I want to save them, not for just common use. And that, this, this kind of specialness, this is a, a flavor of the specialness with which we treat God. At least one person in this room has thought, okay, Greg, you keep on bagging about money. Yes, we live in a culture where you need money. That is true. And you know what? I use my money every day. Because I buy food, or I buy things for my kids, or I pay insurance, or got a letter from the IRS the other day. Thank you, Jesus. But here's the point. Money is for common use. Money I use every day. Money, money is not something to trust in. It's also for sacred use. I give to Grace Baptist and a few other places. But it's not what I trust in in my better moments. Which brings us back to the question we asked a while ago. How do I disobey the first commandment? How is it that I put another God before the Lord? Well, in a word, it is that we live like pagans. Michael Horton wrote in his book, We slip into paganism by thinking that somehow what we do for God will create an obligation on His part. Look, God, what I have sacrificed for you, we tell God. Or we say, if you do this for me, God, I promise to do that for you. But This is paganism. Paganism fails to understand that our relationship with God is on the level of ruler and ruled rather than in a mutual partnership. We do not bargain with God. He makes no deals. But what we miss, and what is so important that we don't miss, is that every other God out there operates exactly like this. (coughs) If we look to money, pleasure, or power, the three great gods of this world... These false gods always demand a quid pro quo relationship. Sacrifice for me. Do this for me and I will do this for you. But it doesn't work. You trust in money? How much money do you need? Just a little bit more. Now again, I'm speaking to 21st century American Christians. None of us are tempted to bow down to a wooden statue, but we might be tempted to serve pleasure by allowing ourselves to be distracted for hours by our favorite screen instead of taking care of whatever it is that our family needs. That would be me. We might be tempted to serve pleasure when we think of our own needs instead of focusing on our responsibilities. Anybody with me in this? And what does it look like? It looks like we get grumpy because we cannot go and serve our favorite God. We're grumpy because we're inconvenienced because we're afraid that we're going to lose our God's services. But when, Christian, 
when man or woman who trusts the promises of God for you in Christ, when we return to reality, we see that we don't lose anything by worshiping the right God. Because when you fear the right God, you don't ever need to fear anything else again. Have no other gods before me. Now before we leave this command, we must turn back to God. We must get to the heart of the matter. We must answer the question, who is this God? Okay, we know who He's not, but who is He? We are to have no other gods before Him who is the one who should stand before us. Exodus chapter 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, listen, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Hear that recently? Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Hear that recently? This is your God. Your God emphasizes His willingness to forgive and to bless and protect and provide and give purpose to His people even in the midst of our failure. If God can save my father's son, He can save anybody. And He makes sure that we understand that He also punishes his punishment is real. It is not some fake thing in an old book. This punishing, however, is something he's loath to do. He wants you to come to him. He longs to bless you. For example, when God in his patience, when his patience was tried by a sinner almost as bad as my father's son. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. He had been boasting in his power and his might. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion, not mine, His kingdom, not mine, is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven, all the angels, and among all the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to what have you done? That is your God. Whether you recognize Him or not. Neb finally came to his senses. Literally. And what's the first thing he does? He starts praying. He starts praying and he starts singing. He's worshiping and serving and submitting to. He's trusting in. He's boasting in Yahweh. Why? Because God changed his heart. God changed Neb's heart and then his obedience continued to make him the man that he wanted to be and the man that God created him to be. Nebuchadnezzar is a prime example of another principle that we are going to return to over and over in this series. 
And that is this. You shall not becomes you shall not. You shall not becomes you shall not. Listen. Obey the Lord. Where He says don't, then don't. Where He says do, then do. Period. End of story. That's all there is to it. The injunction against breaking the Ten Commandments of God stands for all people, everywhere, and every when. Period. And God's commands become a description of the kind of person you are becoming in Christ. You shall not, the command, don't do this, becomes you shall not. God is working these in you. He is writing His commands on your heart. So that you become the kind of person you long to be. God, how come I can't get rid of this sin? The hating of that sin is the first step. And one day, if you have been saved from the penalty of sin, you are being saved from the power of sin. One day you will be saved from the presence of sin. You will come closer to this. And you will one day view disobeying the will of God as foreign as breathing water. I'm going to wrap up with Jesus again. We'll return to this passage next week. But we have to look at Jesus' response to the town harlot who needed grace and healing and power for godliness and needed to put no other gods before Him. What happened? John chapter 4, Jesus said to her, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship in spirit. We must worship from the very center of our beings. We are to worship God exclusively with all of us all the time. That's what Jesus is saying here. And we must worship Him in truth. We must worship thoughtfully and based, worship based upon what He has revealed to us. Then Jesus puts it together. We must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship sincerely. Now sincerely in the sense that we know what we're doing and sincerely in the sense that we worship no other. Because worship necessarily presupposes exclusivity. Worship can be of only one God at a time. You cannot serve God and money. So what? So what? Don't put any other gods before me. Well, in Jesus' second most important commentary on this commandment, we find Him praying. Stand up with me, please. Stand up. And join with me. Because you know this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts, daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil power and the glory forever. Amen. This week, 
Pray this prayer. Don't mess it up like I just did. Pray this prayer. I think this is Jesus' second most important commentary on the first commandment. I think that's what he's getting at here. We look to him for our provision. We understand that if we fear the right God, we will never need to fear anything else again. Amen.